1: I'm like a third reflection I'm lost with a bit of final direction And I'm stranded on my own Stranded, far from home All right Stranded, I'm so far from home Stranded, yeah, I'm on my own Leave me alone Cause I'm stranded On my own Stranded Far from home Come on Doesn't matter you Play the rain thing I can't do You lost your mind Stuck in the world You're honey such a stupid girl Now I'm stranded On my own From home but Come on Sandy, I'm so far from home Sandy, so yeah, I'm on my own Sandy, you gotta leave me alone Cause I'm Sandy on my own Sandy, far from home All right Saints. They cut it so hard, and the brain To build that love with her Your baby don't know how it hurts To be stranded on your own Stranded, far from home All right Stranded, I know you're far from home Stranded, yeah to come on Stranded, I'm so far from home Stranded, yeah, I'm on my own Stranded, you gotta leave me alone you i I'm stranded on my own. Stranded.
0: 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3CR.org.au, and 3CR On Demand, out of the pan with Sally. First broadcasting noon until one every Sunday afternoon, Australian Eastern Summer Time. Thank you for your company. 3CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and we pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. And acknowledge acknowledge any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people tuning in to the show by whatever means. And also acknowledge that the lands were stolen and never ceded. And you're listening to Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. I'm your host, Sally Goldner. I use the pronouns she, her... And um if you want to get in touch with the show, there's lots of ways to do it. You can email out of the pan eight five five at gmail.com. You can SMS six one four five six seven five one two one five. You can tweet at Sal Gold said so, and that's the bottom line. And you can look for posts on Facebook, my page Sally Goldner AM and Out of the Pan 3CR 855 AM Melbourne. And remember that any opinions I express on the show are strictly my own. Um also, um not likely today, but if there is anything distressing, um you can um contact switchboard on one eight hundred one eight four five two seven. 184527 Well, opened up today with the Saints, a Brisbane based band because well, Brisbane and Queensland leading the way last night. Labor re-elected up there and One Nation and Palmer United have disappeared down a big sinkhole or something. Hoorah. And um well, um that's one th- one thing to celebrate. Um, coming cl- back closer to home, it's been a busy week on the rainbow and rainbow-ish fronts. Um, Intersex Awareness Day, last Monday the 25th, we're at the end of ACE week. And today is Transparent Day. And I have a guest who's very much been involved in our communities for many, many years to join me to discuss that and um, issues and points surrounding it. And that's the wonderful Dr. and Ansara, who is a polycultural psychotherapist and clinical educator living on sovereign Boon country in the Kulin Nations. And for 19 years, Garvey has provided therapeutic support, policy guidance and advocacy internationally to challenge oppression and marginalisation of people with non-binary and binary trans lived experience and people with additional forms of gender diversity. Garvey is an associate editor of the International Journal of Trans Health, Received an American Psychological Award, transgender research award for original significant research, and the University of Surrey University of Surrey Vice Chancellor's Alumni Achievement Award for outstanding contributions to international human rights and social justice. And there's plenty more we could talk about, lots of other awards. But I think the best thing to do is get Garvey on the proverbial line. Garvey, welcome to Three CR.
2: Thank you so much, Sally. Um, I also want to acknowledge that I'm coming from the stolen sovereign lands of the Bunurong people, the Kulin nations, and also want to acknowledge ongoing colonization and systemic racism, including the very recent and devastating destruction of the sacred t- trees of the Jajawarong people by both federal and Victorian state government. And I understand this is being legally contested. So I send my solidarity to the Jadarung people for an ethical outcome in the colonial court.
0: Well, absolutely. So in the midst of various positive things um, in the last week for the queer communities and up in Queensland. We do need to very, very much um, mention that sobering note and, well, uh, I suppose I'd better be careful and um, remain restrained given that we're broadcasting, but um, all I I can do really is send my solidarity as well at this time, although if we weren't on air, I'd be saying a lot more and I think you (laughs) would be too. Um, Yeah, and... Um, yeah, you know, we very much acknowledge diversity and intersectionality across the lands and acknowledge that of course um, you know there's been lots of ways to express and identify gender all around the world for many years including on some lands on this continent sister girls and brother boys so very very much um, social justice and being together um, but let's zero in a bit transparent day this has been going since 2014 and we were just having a chat a few weeks ago now and thinking, hmm, we should do something about this. So perhaps let's just um, get the, broad, the sort of broad brushstrokes going first. Tell us a little about Transparent Day and what it's um, set up to do.
2: Well, Sally, um, I, think, I think one of the important things about Transparent Day to think about, particularly when people talk about having a particular day to commemorate a certain thing or, or a certain type of relationship, I think it's important to say this is the life that people live every day. So for some people, this is everyday life. And I think um, sometimes what the, the important thing of a day is actually to create an awareness that's centred around, this is in case the first Sunday in November. Mm-hmm. It was established in 2009. The idea was to celebrate life and love between parents, who'd been marginalized for their genders um, and their children and also children of trans and non-binary experience and children um, with various kinds of gender diversity and their parents. And I think it's an important day. It's a day when we can take stock of how well as a community we're doing in supporting parents. And I mean, broader community, not just trans and non-binary and gender diversity communities. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think there's also a real need to remind people that this isn't just a news story or a day or a sensational ABC News special, but this is regular people's everyday lives. And I think um, the situation certainly that I'm familiar with in community and in my various roles, they really show a lack of awareness and understanding that people exist at all. I think it's something I've heard you talk about a lot about by mm. I think even in spaces where the concept of people being non-binary and binary trans people or people um, having various kinds of gender diversity is, is welcome and understood, the idea that people could also be parents, like you talked about intersectionality, is still not on many people's radar screen. So when they talk about this, they're primarily assuming that if someone has a family member... Who is non-binary and binary, or binary trans, or, or they have gender diversity? That that person is automatically going to be the child in the family, mm. not the parent, and that also comes from a bit of an infantilizing paternalistic perspective in general, particularly in medical and mental health professions there is this sort of condescending paternalistic attitude of sort of I know better than you or it's my job to make sure you're really who you say you are and I think that feeds into this idea that a parent who's someone who does make decisions about other people's lives and has a tremendous amount of responsibility couldn't possibly be a trans person and I don't think that that's something that's explicitly stated I think that's an implicit bias that people have but I noticed that in many contexts where people are attempting to be inclusive and yet they're really not making space for allowing that a parent might have a lived experience of gender that's different from the clinicians. Most most of the clinicians are not people who have that lived experience themselves, and even the ones who sometimes have come to have provided supervision for people and said, "Oh, I didn't realise that parent had that lived experience. I was thinking it was one of the children." So again, I think it hasn't been until recently that we've really um, started to question that kind of exclusionary attitude where it's just assumed that if someone is um, a person of non-binary or binary trans experience or some form of gender diversity that's marginalised, then they couldn't possibly be a parent. And I think um, looking at the strengths and benefits of those parents as well as looking at the challenges people face is really important and what we can do to minimise those challenges.
0: Yeah, I think you've raised some really good points there. You know, erasure... Um and you know whether it's conscious or unconscious bias perhaps doesn't matter but also you know yes um, I think there'd be lots of people of all sorts of backgrounds there out there who feel pathologized at times by various um, health professionals both mental and physical and you know this whole um, you know medical supremacist sort of attitude can be really frustrating but um, you know and that's a that's a huge one um, to get through but um, that you know, people don't even think about it or I'm um, just sort of on a similar pathologizing note. One thing that came to mind as I was listening to you um, and, you know, I thought that just clicked in as someone who facilitates a group for parents or for family members, including parents mm-hmm. of trans people, something that happens on the pathologizing front. And I almost feel like saying content warning for pathologizing and transphobia here, I'll say low to medium level, that parents get asked things about let's say they have an assigned male child who wants to be female, well didn't you give your enough child trucks and you know child enough trucks to play with or something? And I'm sort of doing that denial laughter there as you can hear, because it's just so bizarre that we can even um, pathologize cisgender parents of, of, of trans young people um, and all those sorts of things as well. So that pathologization can run, sadly, very deep.
2: Mm. That's true. And, and given that many people's exposure to this topic is a television show called Transparent that many people with lived experience have actually criticised, Um, I, I, you know, and and yet people who don't have lived experience seem to think this is such an amazing show and will recommend it to every single parent who discloses that they have a trans lived experience or some form of gender diversity. Um, I think that it's really important to look at that is, you know, what do people think about the representations of parents? Um, Because I think that some people have said, look, you know, it's a huge problem that you've got an actor who... um, some people have said like looks very sensationalized, looks like they're doing drag. Um, and, and this sort of um, the way that the family deals with it, um, there are, on one hand, some people are so grateful that there's even a representation at all. And I hear that this sort of dilemma that there's mixed reactions to it, that people have come to therapy or people I know in community have said to me, you know, this is so wonderful to see us represented and yet how awful they've said that, that this representation just misses so much and why didn't they have, uh, Why couldn't they have an actor that actually has lived experience? That That's a common concern. There's so few roles for actors with lived experience. Why mm-hmm. did they need to have an actor who actually is a man? And that that really does make a difference to those people with lived experience who are watching that show. I also think it's, it's something that people often let themselves off the hook where they say, oh, I watched the show Transparent. That makes me supporter, and ally, I get it. And what's really interesting is how that doesn't translate into actual differences in behaviour in many cases. I won't talk about that right now, but I guess to say there are very specific challenges that people are going through that are not reflected in dilemmas represented on the show. So although there's a lot of valuable content in the show that people do resonate with, there's a lot of things that people found troubling and there wasn't really much room for people to raise that in a balanced way where they could say look overall it's great to have some representation better than nothing but here are the challenges and i think i think that people didn't listen as much to community there wasn't as much input from community about that
0: well yeah often um you know what's the saying the the road to hell is paved with good intentions and people might have been well intentioned of course t- first of all totally agree to have a cisgender male playing a trans woman is problematic and for that matter, had it been um, the character being a trans man and being played by a cis woman could have been problematic and where does that leave non-binary people, Um, Mm. all those things. But, um, you know, I think that a lot of the time, you know, that there isn't this input from trans people. There's a really good article actually in The Guardian a couple of weeks ago about um, when people who are cisgender try to write trans, speak from the first person as a trans character in a book. There's this new book, I think it's Honeybee, um, and it may not be a bad book and I can't say I've read it, but is it really something that they can do and get the, the nuances right? I mean, as an educator, I can spe- you know speak to my lived expertise for trans and by bi- acknowledging that's one story, but if I'm doing, say, all of LGBTIQA+, I have to make it clear that I can't speak for intersex, for example. And so we really need that lived expertise. And, you know, the thing that always gets me, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, um, although um, just to get them in your own words, is we all know that if we if we have input into a system because we know what's worked and what hasn't and how we can fix the what hasn't worked it gets up to become a better system. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. So it might be a surprise to say, why isn't it that we're having that input into issues um, that, affect, um, that affect Transparent Day, whether you are a transgender parent or a parent of a trans person?
2: I think it's about really acknowledging privilege because if you don't acknowledge privilege, you'll get into a situation similar to one that I recently encountered where I was in a professional development training And it was about ethical behavior. Mm -hmm. And one of the people who's in a leadership position nationally regarding ethical practice actually said that disclosing lived experience was unethical. And a lot of people were trying to raise the point that if you have a particular marginalized lived experience, there are certain things that you do not want to leave to chance. Uh, in terms of them understanding the range of experience and the language and not having to explain yourself as much and play educator to somebody. And this person's attitude was that empathy is enough. I, I just understand and you just listen to people. And what really struck me there is unexamined privilege, that this person does not understand, doesn't actually have the empathy to understand how, in this case, her privilege affected her ability to determine whether or not she was appropriate. She didn't understand that she had a whole lot of cis privilege and that her lived experience afforded her a different way of moving through the world, that there were so many questions she wouldn't know to ask because she hadn't questioned any of these things. So I think it does give you, lived experience gives you an informed intuition. It doesn't automatically mean you'll get it because everyone's different, but it means, you know, what kinds of things might be going on And it means you know what kinds of questions to ask and you have a sense of which things are going to be offensive without necessarily having to be told. Whereas someone who doesn't have lived experience is going to have to work harder to do that. There are different challenges. So someone with lived experience might have to remember that their own experience of that thing isn't identical to someone else who might have the same label or the same community membership. But somebody who doesn't have lived experience is really going to have to remember how many privileges they have and constantly examine those And I think that's where I see a lot of the failures is people wanting to tick a box, wanting to learn a list of facts and then claim competence or claim expertise. I can remember something I found really appalling, that there was a therapist going around saying, uh, describing themselves as, uh, as a spokesperson for the trans community, but this person Um, I'm not saying a gender on purpose because I don't want to call any particular person out because this is um, a wider problem than any one person. But calling yourself a spokesperson for a community that you're not personally part of, of people who have a lived experience that you haven't personally had, I find that morally repugnant. I think it takes away space. So going back to that article in The Guardian, um, if that's the Alex Gallagher article that you're talking about, I'm not sure if that's the one. Yeah, um, because one of the points of that is that there are so many, toward the end, Alex makes the point that there are so many great manuscripts and works by authors of trans non-binary and gender diverse lived experience who just don't have access to the same system they don't have this, this privilege to, ha- to be published and so people are taking up space writing about people without them and yet they're not lifting people up so i think one of the things that is important to say is it's not about centering yourself I mean, it's a little bit equivalent to the fact that people are giving so much space to a white woman, Robin D'Angelo, and yet not as much to Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, um, who does have lived experience of being targeted for racism. Um, You know, in in terms of talking about white privilege, you know, who's dominating the discourse? So when you're talking about, you know, trans representation, non-binary representation, gender diversity representation, you know, Who's doing the representing? Mm. Who's consulted? You know, there's that saying from the South African disability rights movement that's been used in all sorts of contexts globally now, nothing about us without us is for us. If this is supposed to be, quote unquote, for us, for a particular community that's being marginalized, well, who determines that? Who decides if that representation is, is one of the many representations that feels accurate and authentic to people? And I think there's not even that question. You know, forget the issue of okay, are you only talking to white non-binary people versus you know Aboriginal brother girls and sister boys? Are you talking? You know, who are you talking to within that range? But there's not even any talking to people of lived experience. It's in many cases. So, um, I mean, in terms of the the situations that people face, there's a whole range of common situations that I certainly encounter every day in community spaces, in pastoral care, and as a therapist that I just don't see represented. Or, or if I do, I see them represented very poorly from a dominant, oppressive perspective um, and not from the perspective of the person with lived experience.
0: Yeah. So, what can people do to be? Let's get um, you know, to- acknowledge totally what you've said there. What can people do, whether they're therapists, the proverbial, um, you know, everyday citizen in inverted commas, um, any, anyone, any general or specific things that people can do to be better? Um, allies to trans. Um, to, I'll just keep referring to trans parents given the day, given the day. Yeah. And what can people do that would be positive, lifting, you know, um, make things improve things?
2: Thank you, Sally. And 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 just recognizing that we're we're really talking about a range of parents, not just those mm. who would identify as trans. So I do want people who don't think the term trans applies to their lived experience to also know that I'm including you mm. in in this when I say um, it may be called transparent day, but um, perhaps eventually it will be called trans non-binary and people with gender Mm -hmm. diversity um, lived experience day. But um, I think one thing that I think is key is cultural humility, which is a concept that is often used in cultural diversity spaces. And I think it it is relevant here because um, if you haven't had a particular lived experience, even if you're a binary person of trans experience and you're not non-binary, you have binary privilege. You, you have a humility, certainly mm-hmm. as a binary person. I have a humility about not claiming expertise about someone else's lived experience. So I think realizing it's an ongoing process of learning, you never get it. You're never a, an expert. You might specialize in a topic or a certain lived experience, but you're never an expert in someone else's lived experience. And with that, there's this really important point of valuing and prioritizing the feelings and needs of people whose gender-lived experiences have been marginalised or completely excluded. So I can think of a number of situations where that devaluing and deprioritizing plays out. Um, and, and just one example is there's a number of people in a particular spiritual community that I was once part of mm-hmm. who considered themselves allies because they watched the show Transparent on television and would talk about it and would have various forums about it and publicly, you know, give presentations about it. And it it doesn't seem as if they even consulted actual people of lived experience in most of these cases. But I can remember that people often prided themselves on how inclusive they were. It's this very common phenomenon of virtue signaling. Well, I know that this is an ideal thing to be, or I think it's an ideal thing to be. So I'm going to claim to be that as a way of improving my social status in certain contexts. Whereas in other contexts where it wasn't as socially acceptable, they didn't challenge the point. They weren't defenders of people's rights, but it was when it was considered to be beneficial to them. They had the privilege to kind of switch, you know, to become very silent and not say anything in places where it wouldn't be well-received, but to say it in spaces where it would increase their social capital. What was very interesting, though, was that the same people, several of them, uh, repeatedly became hostile and antagonistic when they were asked to take actions. that would actually align with these supposedly inclusive Ideas. Mm-hmm. So when I would raise issues about non binary people and their families feeling excluded, um, or, or even someone publicly misgendered someone, and when I tried to privately, one on one, in a much less distressing environment than this big public forum at which this person had misgendered someone repeatedly, um, I privately said, Look, you know, here's what happened. And, and I even gave them a, here's how you can make it right. This person started crying. And it became all about me responding to that person's feelings. So their feelings became prioritized. Their needs became prioritized. And in fact, at no time did any of my suggestions for how to fix it happen. So I think one thing is to say there's a difference between safety, which people who are marginalized and oppressed need, need people with various kinds of privilege in a situation to to help make possible, and the beneficial discomfort of people who are privileged being called on their enactment of oppression. And so in this case, I was calling someone on enacting oppressive behavior, but it became all about them all the time. And that's that's a repeated experience that I've had when raising concerns like that. And you see this throughout relationships, Sally. I mean, you probably have experiences of your own, but I'm just thinking of how many people I've worked with mm-hmm. who are in relationships and families where their gender being respected and expressed is treated as a matter of opinion for people to disagree mm. with or not. So so everybody else gets respected as who they are, but that person is seen as rocking the boat. You know, They're seen as creating a conflict just by trying to self-express themselves in a way that allows them to have a meaningful life and that maintaining the status quo with which all the other family members are comfortable is seen as um, prioritized and not that person's experience. So everyone else gets to be who they are, but that person doesn't because it's seen as a family matter. Well, if you do that, you're hurting me. And yet no one else's gender and way of expressing themselves is up for grabs. So this is the kind of toxic compromise people make to ensure that other people are comfortable. And I can think of one very painful experience where I worked with a woman who she had been assigned male at birth and, and she was really working hard to accept her own gender and had decided to affirm her gender. And then she found out from the partner she was with that that partner who had a child was not comfortable with her having that role and she agreed to kind of accept this deal this deal to have a public role as a stepfather and to be misgendered by the partner to all the other people because her partner was uncomfortable with how other people in this small rural community Mm -hmm. might react to her being gendered as a woman Um, she was very tall Um, she for various reasons didn't want to go on hormones Um, and so um, you know she she was going to be challenged on her gender expression because of other people's prejudices about her visual appearance. And so she would frequently bring distress to therapy. She, and I've de-identified the situation, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the specific details are a bit different than what I've said, but um, she would bring distress to therapy and she was constantly suicidal, but she had to keep this to herself to preserve the status quo of that relationship. So in terms of people's limits, I would say, you can't compromise on being yourself without tremendous Mm. cost and i think that if people who claim to love people understood the damage that they were causing and made it safe for people to express the damage that they're causing i don't think you'd see that same kind of behavior um and that's and that's really around children people have this idea that it's inappropriate you know to to be trans or non-binary or have gender diversity around (laughs) children um and and, and yet children seem very comfortable. Children adapt very quickly. In fact, in this case, the children were already respecting this person's gender. It was the partner and the partner's family, deeply religious family, who were not comfortable with it. And so, I mean, I even had one person who, um, who he had a parent as well as uh, a partner who were both trans. And this person in the sessions would insist it was OK to misgender the parent because the parent was supposedly fine with it even though the partner later disclosed that the parent wasn't fine with it um, and had just accepted this behavior to maintain the relationship with, yep. you know, with their own child. Um, but this person used that claim to then bully his own partner into being misgendered by him, to say, oh, well, my parent's okay with it, so you know you should be okay with it too. Um, so there's a sense of not really understanding the magnitude of harm that's done. Um, and I know that's, that's very much about people affirming a gender rather than people who decide they want to become parents um, or become parents, whether they decided or not, you know, after, after they've affirmed their gender. And then they have an issue with how much do they disclose of their history? Because, because obviously small children want to know and they ask lots of detailed questions and they start to get curious about bodies. And people don't want to lie to their children. And on the other hand, they also don't want in a situation where their privacy is violated or they have unwanted disclosures to people who might not accept it outside the family. And this is where the current climate of schools is and, and you know, spiritual and cultural communities are so crucial because those environments can be places where it's okay to have the family you have and where parents can feel safe. Child caregivers, oh. primary caregivers of children can really, um, can really find acceptance and inclusion, but that's not often happening. And sometimes that actually creates conflict between partners in a family, so i think I think there's so many different ways that that people need support um and not because there's anything wrong with them, but because of all of the stigma and oppression and exclusion that still exists
0: yep yeah, lot lots in lots in there, and you know it's this whole you know it's so hard for cisgender people who have known someone affirming their the gender in the first, we'll say, in the first part of life, all that sort of thing. Well, it's, of course, a lot harder for trans people, which I think leads into something that's really important. Every human has wonderful strengths. And in terms of your working with trans, um, trans parents, and acknowledging um, yeah, that um, what you said about that that label doesn't cover everyone, but it's, um, there is a degree of play on words, which is always good. Um, mm. Seriously, what do you think are the, the, po- the strengths, the positives that trans parents um, bring to, we'll say, any table, so to speak? Because I think that's mm. really important to note.
2: Look, I, I think it does depend on the parent, but I think what the lived experience of being non-binary or trans or having some form of gender diversity does give a person, if they have in fact really come to a meaningful examination of life and um, people have told them who they were and then they've said, no, that's not who I am, I'm something else, which, which doesn't happen in all cultures, right? In some cultures people just grow up as who they are um, and, and the word trans wouldn't necessarily apply to their gender diversity. But for, let's say, in, uh, across Australia, in, um, in many communities certainly, I think one of the benefits is that people have really examined themselves. And there's this term that we use in therapy called congruence, which basically just means who I say I am is who I understand myself to be and who I want to be is who I act as in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a particular type of congruence that uh, in particular parents with these lived experiences can have that are harder to come by. For a lot of other parents when you have to examine something so fundamental that people take for granted as you're this or you're that in terms of gender and how gender is such and it's not in every society but in this particular country or set of countries within Australia certainly but in the dominant colonial Australia certainly um, there really is this idea that we every it 's a fundamental building block of society what gender people are I mean mm. even the terms people use for sexuality have embedded in them as as i know you you 've critiqued in the past. a lot of them have embedded within them these assumptions about gender of partner, where for some people that 's not even the primary thing that they look for in a partner. Gender might not be even one of the main um, factors and yet it 's such such a pivotal way that people relate to each other i mean just a quick example is. People who've said, look, um, it was perfectly fine when they were being perceived as a woman to smile at a baby on a bus Hmm. or to smile at a little child. And yet as soon as they started being read by other people as a man or as transmasculine, all of a sudden that was seen as a suspect behaviour, as a potentially predatory behaviour. And so just thinking about how different gender looks when you talk about assumptions about how people are around children, I think one of the benefits is that parents who have examined something as fundamental in this society as gender are much more open to having frank conversations with their kids about other things. And so I, what I think I have noticed is that not all parents are comfortable with their gender, and some parents are in deep stealth, uh, but for those parents who are open in the family in particular about, hey, they happen to have a trans or non-binary lived experience and that's something that they are embracing and talking openly with the children about, it actually has opened up other conversations for the kids where they sort of extrapolate in a lot of cases and go, oh, well, if my parent is open about that particular topic, then I guess talking about this other particular topic would be okay. And so I see a lot more frank, open discussions and where where people are really, young people are really encouraged to investigate who they are and not just assume to be somebody. I think this is a group of parents who seem, and again, we can't stereotype because everyone's different, but one of the things that I have noticed there's a real difference is that more parents with this lived experience than other groups of parents seem very aware of how problematic it is to live vicariously through your child. That is to say, well, I'm a this, so I want you to be a this, or Mm. I never got to do this. I want you to do this and much more careful about not imposing their own selves. And I think that's, that's because going through that experience has helped them to be something that in therapy terms we'd call well differentiated, which just means I can see that I'm me and you're you and the way that we can do intimacy is to understand that true intimacy isn't let's connect around where we're clones of each other or let me turn you into a clone of me. It's let me understand that we're fundamentally different people and let's connect around those differences. And I see these group of parents as being particularly skilled at doing that because of what they've done in their own lives.
0: Yeah. Oh, look, absolutely. So I, I think that trans... Um, regardless of label or no label at all. Um, transgender, diverse, non-binary people do have a sense of openness and um, open, we'll say, you know, the, 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 there's less barriers in their minds, so to speak, if they can be themselves and the creativity definitely opens up. I could also, well, I, there's a digression in there. I'm going to, I'll go with my gut here. Um, I'd sometimes wonder whether some, cisgender people are jealous of that um and that's that causes some of the hostility to um you know transgender diverse non-binary, similar people um but i suppose we could we'd need another 5 shows to debate that um you know so it's it's a really um you know it is a really you know, critical point that when we can be ourselves and i have seen this um you know so many times that um, once it's, you can get on with um you know these being able to be your Gender identity, expression, body, sexual and romantic um, um, orientation—all those sorts of things—the rest of life can start flowing um, more um, hugely. So, um, sort of, um, I think that um, you know, there's a lot that we've covered there. Um, Tell you what, we might just have a quick breather, um, and I'll just have have another Brisbane-based track opened up with the Saints. I'm stranded from. Um, an album called Songs of Salvation, um, which was a 1988 compilation of the Saints up until that time in honour of the Queensland election result. Let's have another um, classic um, Australian um, band um, being the Go-Betweens, who also formed in Brisbane and um, Um, One of their, possibly one of their most well-known tracks, um, The Streaks of Your Town. 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally.
3: in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth and the truth is what this country is most fearful of in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story, our way and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare and spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in. It's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people.
2: We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go
0: to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. To enable change, we need to show broad community support... Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school.
1: It's fast, free and simple.
3: Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter.
0: Three CR eight five five AM. Three CR Digital. Three CR dot org dot au. Three CR On Demand. Out of the pan with Sally. First broadcasting um, noon till one every um, Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. Um, I'll get back to our conversation with the wonderful Doctor Garvey and Sarah in a second. Um, but just a few things coming up. Um, we're going to talk about um, something really um, you, you know that's coming up this week that. Um, Um, well, I think has effects way beyond one country. No prizes for guessing what that is. Um, But something that is underway is the Melbourne Fringe Festival with a lot of events online um, this year, which is um, um, really worth noting. And, well, someone has to. Um, Yours truly is going to be part of an event called Let Me Get Something Off My Chest, where um, Advocate, um, as it says, um, um, tune in for one raucous night of poll. Po- polemical Rants and Righteous Queer Rage Um, that's Thursday the 12th of November at 8pm And, um, so definitely, um, tune in for that And of course, um, last week's, um, fabulous, dare I say, ace guest Um, Jackie Pillar, um, is on in Tardy Which, um, doesn't, I think, come up till um, for a few weeks Um, if it wants to come up in the search here, um, it will But, um, yeah, um, uh, and um so yeah, um get hop onto the Melbourne Fringe website and um make sure you check that out. But um well it's a busy week. Um tardy ready isn't disabled, um it is. And um yeah, busy week um coming up and yeah, um, Tardy premieres on Saturday the twenty first, just after um Trans Day of Remembrance. Um so yeah, busy month and um lots more happening for intersex as well, but um, let's sort of link the two into broader world events. I'm going to have a chat to Garvey. You're keen to talk about a couple of things that we need to um, you know, sort of just really mention we can't avoid. And um, Garvey, uh, one is, well, the horrendous um, bill put before the New South Wales Parliament, um, which I almost feel like saying content warning for that we even have to mention it. And, of course, um, well, currently we have the 45th president, POTUS, in office, as one of our loyal listeners, Kayleen, um, refers to that person as. And it's really critical um, what happens, well, Tuesday, local um, local, um, sort of US time and be about Wednesday morning, middle of the day before we'll know something in eastern Eastern, um, part of this continent. Um, Let's start, we'll say, closer to home. And you're someone of faith, which is why I think your perspective is really important here. The bill that um, Mark Latham has put before the New South Wales Parliament, and if I can just have one light moment, try not to use too many impolite words about it.
2: (laughs) Yes, that's right. I think one of the problems has been the hijacking of people of faith in our communities to try to support very oppressive things that actually go against the principles of many faiths. Mm. And I think this is a a swindle that has been done by certain nefarious actors in government. So I think um, it's interesting. Um, There's a Protect Us All statement at protectusall.com.au, which is a statement against the Slatham Bill that has now been signed by 91 different organisations including the Australian Association of Social Workers, including a couple of places related to people of faith, um, Uniting New South Wales and Mm -hmm. ACT, the Australian Association of Buddhist Counselors and Psychotherapists. Um, There are some notable absences there, which are damning by their absence. Um, But you can take a look at protectosoil.com.au. Regarding that, I think one of the most insidious things is uh, the way that this pits people against their own ethical values and morals, whether they're professionals or people of faith or both, because what it basically does is to say um, people are completely erased from school context. Whether you are a parent of trans, non-binary or gender diversity experience, whether you are a student, whether you're a teacher, uh, whether you're just trying to cover human diversity you're completely erased. And this has particular racist connotations as well that I haven't seen any of the white Anglo people raising awareness about this really uh, prioritise, but certainly it erases the existence further of brother boys and sister girls who've experienced colonisation and of other genders um, in societies that do have more than two genders. Those are completely erased. They'd be banned in schools. And I think one of the insidious things about this is given that we've had increased numbers of suicidality being reported, especially with the pandemic, um, school can be a real a place where young people can get the sole supportive response to them if they're in families or communities where they're not getting that support. So um, I think that one of the things we'll see is if this legislation, this disastrous legislation does pass, I think we're going to see an increase in suicides mm-hmm. and it's very predictable. Um, and, and unfortunately, I, I, I think this is... This is a challenge for Australia, where um, although this is, as you said although this is technically a New South Wales piece of legislation, I think we've seen that when hate speech becomes normalized and when bigotry becomes institutionalized as as it actually has been, but this would further institutionalize it, then we see the harm that that causes to actual people and their loved ones so there's sort of this focus on ideology gender ideology and the language that they keep using Mm -hmm. is really insidious it's been even language that's been picked up by some people in community who don't realize the shift that's that's being enacted which is people are using the phrase gender fluidity as a gloss to describe all people of non-binary and trans experience and people with gender diversity make no mistake gender fluidity is a very particular kind of gender diversity However, there are many people with fixed, stable and abiding you know, identities mm-hmm. and experiences. So what it's trying to do is destabilise the notion that anyone can actually know their gender and it can be different from what someone else decided it should be. And if you are, it's just a phase. It's fluid. Well, I don't know about you, Sally, but many of the people that we love mm-hmm. and know, um, this is not about fluidity. You know, people, it's about knowing who you are and it's about being able to define who you are without someone else who doesn't know you, a state authority deciding and dictating for you who you're going to be.
0: Yeah, look, absolutely. So, um, very quickly, because we are sort of getting um, beginning to run out of time on the show, um, I'll ask one more question on this, and then we um, we will talk about number 45, um, uh, as he's called um, as he's called in Amer- um, in the USA. But um, has there been a position yet? Obviously, from the two we'll say, numerically larger parties in the New South Wales Parliament, the, we'll say, Liberals and or Nationals, and then Labor, on their stance on this bill? Have they publicly declared anything?
2: Well, I'm not the best person to ask about that specifically. I think, um, I mean, Mark Latham, as you know, was a member of Labor before Mm. he joined One Nation. Um, So... I I know that there are individual people who've challenged this, but, and I know that he's not well liked within labor, Mm. um, but I'm not, I, I, what I'm, what I've been more focused on actually is the behavior of behavior of people in professional bodies um, who really have, have hesitated to come out against this. And there's a number of them that have and a number of them that haven't. Again, you can take a look at whose names are represented and you can draw your own conclusions, but um it's really shocking just how many people consider this a politically sensitive issue when what we're really talking about is the lives of young people and their families and the safety of schools so um i th- i think I think it, there are there are lots of different permutations of this i mean look i think I think politically it's um it's something that a lot of people don't seem to understand just how dangerous it is so um I don't know, Sally, are you aware of any statements against the bill? by Labour or LNP?
0: Not at this stage. Um, so, yeah, um, hopefully that will be the case. And I think with the disintegration of influence of One Nation last night, that is all the more reason for um, certainly Labour, but obviously we prefer um, LNP as well to just totally reject this bill outright. And the fact that Alex Greenwich, although admittedly he's in the lower house of the New South Wales Parliament, got a motion supporting trans people one would hope that is a good sign, um, but look, we are just sort of getting close to the end. Only a few minutes left, and so I do. Well, we did say um, I know it's a, it's such a huge topic to fit into two or three minutes, which is all um, the time we have left. But um, the um, situation in the US, of course, this Tuesday um, in American time, which would become um, roughly Wednesday morning-ish, um, give or take, um, in most of, of the lands on this continent. Um, the U.S. elections—not just president, but of course um, their two um, legislature houses. Um, God, where do we start? Trying to go through the implications of this—not um, just, of course, for LGBTI, but so many other things, climate and other things. But I'll, I'm interested to get your thoughts very, very quickly.
2: Well, I don't know if you were remembered this, but there was a point in around around this time in 2018 when there was a move by. The US administration to erase the definition of transgender altogether from federal programs.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: So, this is not even just, there was a whole lot of discrimination that happened. People were banned from military service. There were all sorts of other things that happened. There was demonization of people. There was hate speech. Um, but in particular, there was this attempt to redefine sex in civil rights law so that it would remove the anti discrimination protections that people had gained. And so this, that even the American Psychological Association at the time had come out against this to say, you know, there's decades of research that show that you know, this, this is going to harm people, don't do it. But um, they've redefined that. And interestingly enough, some of the US efforts to reduce people's rights have used a similar language of gender fluidity, basically trying to position this just as an ideology, really divorcing it, dehumanizing it. It's similar to what we see where people use words like homosexuality and not actually talk about real people and real relationships, that that they're really trying to dehumanize people of trans, non-binary, and gender diversity experience rather than actually explain that this has real impact on people's lives. So I think if if the election goes one way, You'll see certainly Joe Biden and Kamala I mean, Kamala Harris came under fire because at one point she was directly responsible for making it impossible for women of trans experience in the prison system to access um, gender affirmation medically, to access hormones and surgeries. And she's since apologised for that. Um, and she now includes her pronouns you know, on, on her Twitter handle and things like that. I think she may have learned her lesson. Um, Joe Biden is certainly has made a lot of comments that are strongly supportive of, of people of trans experience, non-binary experience and with gender diversity. I do think a lot of the rhetoric coming out of the campaign is very binary um, as opposed to some of the Obama campaign stuff was a bit less binary in some places, but still there's a long way to go, but certainly it is more favorable. And we're talking really there about levels of understanding, but there's a commitment to inclusive practice in principle, whereas we don't see that with the current administration. So if the current administration is elected, there will be definitely a further erosion of rights and a pandering to some of the most vile forms of bigotry against us. And I should say, um, when we're talking about the Latham issue, look, there have been a couple of statements by Labour that I was able to track down. Um, Do I think they go far enough? No, I don't. Mm. Um, and I, and I think the, the people, as you've said, it's unfortunate. There's been a couple of greens, um, p- politicians who've gone a bit farther. I think we, it's, we need to understand this is not a political issue, whether you're a conservative, whether you're left, whether you're right, you know, regardless of which party you do or don't support, this is not a political issue. Um, and certainly we see that there are people in the LNP who have been supporters of, um, people's rights not saying that that is the current government. Certainly, Scott Morrison has had vile attacks on young people, particularly trans young people um, in the media, which are vile and inappropriate, and same with the Lord Mayor in Perth as well. We've seen some hateful comments recently. Um, But I I would say this this crosses across political parties. What we're talking about is something that perhaps there are different values among conservatives um, than among progressives, people who call themselves by those terms or moderates, and yet there are principles that each has in common that they might call by different names that really, um, that really are important. So from a conservative perspective, someone might say, well, it's, it's the right to um, having a private life, to not be interfered with by government, things like mm-hmm. that, that yep. are typical conservative values. And I think um, that's where you could make a conservative case for supporting young people's rights here. Um, but regardless of, regardless of what your political orientation is, it's, this is not a Greens issue, not a Labor issue, not, a, not an LNP issue. This is a human rights issue which people from all sorts of perspectives I hope will take seriously, which is that ultimately we need to make our schools safe places for people because if we don't, then we damage all of society. We're all here, here. affected.
0: All right. Look, Avi, have to leave it there. I'm really out of time. Thank you so much for all your thoughts on the show today. There's plenty more we could discuss. Might have to grab you in at some other time down the track. Um, thanks so much for everything. and. Um, Yeah, um, for your time on this Sunday. Take it out quickly today as we are um, just past the end of Ace Week. Just wanted to give a few seconds to a track by Richard Clapton. And remember, hearts are not just for sexual and romantic attraction. They're how you love in the broadest sense of the word. Let's have a track from Richard Clapton's live album, and this is Ace of Hearts. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week.